Welcome or welcome back to the Movie Going Podcast, Episode One: Top Ten Favorite Filmmakers of All Time. There's a little insight because obviously this is the first episode. The Movie Going Podcast. This is a project of mine that has been a dream come true. I did one episode of it back in the year of 2020, but there were some there was some room for improvement to say the least. So, you know, things happen. But here we are. We're rebranding it. We're starting with the brand new clean palette. But obviously, this is an impossible task to do alone. It would be way too overwhelming. So I had to have a co-host here. And that is none other than Luke Ponzo. What is going hey, on? Hey, yo. Hey, everybody. Yep, I am Luke Ponzo, uh, one of Fritzky's uh, best bros uh, in regards to the film community. And not, and not just film community, but in general. So um, it's great to be a co-host of the podcast because you are my watch-along co-host on my YouTube channel, which if you guys haven't, by the way, go subscribe. That's right. That is right. So. That is right. And... You know, obviously Luke will be our continuous familiar face. And I hope this other face that we have here will continue to be a familiar face as we go along as well for other episodes. But obviously, to add in a little spice, we had to have a guest. And we will, for most of our episodes, of course, have a guest. And we had to choose someone special. He has a great channel, great content. He's an awesome guy, really fun dude to be around, you know, in all nine yards. Zach Aww. attack reviews. Yeah. Aww, that was so sweet. That's the best intro I've ever gotten in my life. <laughs> How is everyone so doing this fine evening? I'm doing great now after that. <laughs> doing, so I know you guys probably can't see it. Like um, if you guys are uh, listening to the podcast, but it's a thumbs up from me. So. We got that little bubble there. If y'all see video format, then we'll have little Easter eggs and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's StreamYard Easter eggs, basically, if you guys are watching this on video. So, <laughs> so yeah. So, for everyone who's watching in video format on YouTube, uh, audio will not be available right away. But for those of you who are audio listeners or prefer to listen to your podcast audio wise, whether you're, you know, listening in the car or doing chores or whatever the hell. Audio will be coming very soon, short after Spotify first, and then uh, we're working with Apple right now, but that's where we're at. So without further ado, I think we should get right into it. So I have to ask before we dive in, I'll start with Zach. How hard was this of a list to make? So this is, was really hard for like probably different reasons from you guys. As you guys know, I call myself the baby cinephile. So I've just gotten to movies maybe a lot later than a lot of people do and i'm learning all this stuff i'm getting into directors my first stanley kubrick film was this year my first martin scorsese film was this year so there's a lot of heavy hitters i'm not uh you know i don't know so a lot of people on my list are brand new and i was like have i even seen all their films to add them on the list so i really like come up with people and i'm like oh god i'm gonna be seem like a, such a baby on here but i think it's gonna be really fun to have that diversity on there someone that has yeah. like more newer eyes to film than you guys who probably seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and can pick out the most obscure director ever i never heard of and say these 10 films i'm great so that's what made it hard i was looking at it and i was like okay this guy's on the list but i've only seen one of their films <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> totally you, get it there buddy oh for me um i've been a movie fanatic all of my life like and so 
making this list and especially with the amount of movies i've seen now clocking in at like 20 years since i'm 20 years old the amount of films i've seen is crazy to a point where it's like it was i would say obviously my number one and some my and my number one was like the easiest like mm-hmm. which we're obviously not going to give away since because we're only starting this like right now because otherwise i'd be a freaking idiot um yeah. so um but for the most part, this was kind of a tough list because there's a lot of great filmmakers out there that I love and ones that I don't think get enough attention. So th- this list for me might actually be kind of scattered in or out depending on what day you ask. So hmm. for me, it was kind of funny because I think the first seven or eight were extremely easy. And then it was like... I can make a top 25 list so easy. Where's the cutoff point going to be? So that's like, it was actually hard to limit myself. And which is hence why that it's a good segue point into uh, the next thing we were going to get into, which is honorable mentions. Uh, Luke, uh, Zach does not have an honorable mentions list, but Luke and I do. And we both, we agreed maximum of 10. So Luke, would you care to briefly go over your honorable mentions? Absolutely, my good sir. Um, I will. I'm not really going to just say much of like why these are my honorable mentions. I'm just going to just say what they are and move on so that way we can keep this thing going. So, because if people want to hear me just t- talk about an explanation of my honorable mentions, that would just would not work. But point being, let's just get to it. Um, uh, so, I got the Cohen brothers Joel and Ethan Cohen, Spike Lee, Michael Mann. Matt Reeves, Scott Derrickson, Christopher McQuarrie, Richard Linklater, Denis Villeneuve, Sidney Lumet, and unfortunately, this one was the closest to making my list, but Quentin Tarantino. That's a really good list. That's a really good list. Like I'm saying, man, this was tough. All-time list. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, that, I mean, those are all so good. That that could honestly work as like someone's actual personal top 10 list, dude. Like that was, that was really good. Um, As for me, in alphabetical order, of course, I got Greg Araki, Darren Aronofsky, Robert Eggers, Don Hertzfeldt, Wong Kar Wai, Michael Mann, Terrence Malick, Steven Spielberg, Lars von Trier, and Nicholas Winding Refn. So, yeah. Nice. All righty. So let's pull up our slide here and we're going to do a little snake. Obviously our guest is going to go first, then we'll do Luke and then we'll do me. So without further ado, Zach, my friend, would you care to tell us your number 10? Yes. My number 10 is Gareth Edwards, a new cat on the scene. He doesn't have that many films, but the films that I've seen from him, I really, really enjoy because he takes the mid-budget film and make it feel like it's the big $250 million film. When you think about Godzilla, when you think about Rogue One, well, Rogue One is a little bit more expensive, but it's less expensive than most Star Wars films. And when you think of what he did with the creator, I really like that he put so much in each frame and Rogue One is still my favorite Star Wars movie to this day. Um, I've never wow. been a huge, huge Star Wars guy. Like I've watched all of them and I was like, these are good, I, but I'm not on the hype train as everyone. It wasn't until Rogue One where I was like, holy crap, this is what I want. A little bit more serious, a little bit more uh, getting away from the lightsabers and the Jedis and showing like the regular people can combat too. And then Darth Vader at the end just 
topped it off. Like, oh, this is how you use Jedis. Use them sparingly so they feel special. Um, Godzilla, I'm a big Godzilla fan. I grew up with the franchise, the cartoons, the movies, and everything like that. But there was like a big gap where I didn't see any Godzilla content for a while. So his 2014 Godzilla film was special to me because it reminded me how they used to execute the old school Godzillas. You didn't see him too much in the movie. He wasn't just blasting through the whole city the whole time. He was his looming presence all the time. And the 2014 film did that. And then also just the way he did the cinematography and kind of like that opening with Brian Cranston and how like tense that was and making you care about the human characters. It's not as good as Godzilla minus one that came out this year, but I still think that's a really great film that started off a really great franchise. And um, yeah, the creator is just a great sci-fi film that takes pieces of things that other movies have done and just put it together in a great way. So he has a lot of great movies I like. Nice. It's man. Rogue one being your favorite star Wars film. That's, definitely a hot take i don't know if i've ever even heard anyone say that but you know what i will say out of this new wave of star wars i remember initially when i watched rogue one in the theater liking that one more than force awakens i would have to rewatch them to see you know where that lands now but i would say you know i mean force awakens it has its issues like you know it's copy paste obviously has you know those new lines hope. being drawn from a new hope yeah but honestly rogue one it was such a breath of fresh air for the franchise in that regard, which I think is what a lot of people were hoping for with episode seven. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, but that, that's a really good pick. I love seeing such a contemporary director on the list. Yeah. I mean, I personally, I'm not a big fan of rogue one, but the ambition that Gareth Edwards has like with telling a, um, a star Wars story that um, not many people would really know about what I thought was really interesting um, I loved his version of Godzilla. Um, not well, well, not perfect. It's definitely pretty slow in points, but I did really like it. And um, the creator taking, um, like you said, some great sci-fi ideas and kind of culminating it into its own. You got to really commend Gareth Edwards for actually taking a really, because in reality, when it comes to sci-fi films, like big, like big sci-fi films, $80 million budget is not a lot of money. Like, so for him to take that kind of money and culminate it into possibly the best looking film of the year in the creator, I, you got to commend him for it. You got to give him props. So he's one yeah, to make I mean, use of the budget. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. that's That was the point I was making. Like he knows how to make good use of the budget to make it look like you said, Zach, a um, $300 million movie. Yeah, you take advantage of pre-production. Sorry, please. Oh, oh no! And, and actually, what I was gonna say actually, it sounded like it's gonna trail into what you were saying. I was just gonna say, in terms of budgeting, dude, it's not an easy thing to do. I, I can speak from experience. The uh, you know, based off the short film I did this past summer and the one I'm working on right now, and then this uh, mock producing project I did for school, budgeting is extremely hard when it comes to the film world. You know, for anyone mm -hmm. who says that, oh, I. I don't need to learn math. I'm in high school right now. I don't care about math. It's not going to apply to me. I want to make movies. You are so wrong because budgeting is all math. And I swear I spent hours rearranging where my money was going to go. Yeah. And that's all part of pre-production and planning ahead before you start filming anything, scoping out places, knowing what every, how the full movie is going to be. Like there was no reshoots on this film, you know? 
that's usually what beefs up budgets to crazy amounts. He knew exactly what he, knew his movie wanted to be. That is crazy. I, I did not know that there were no reshoots on that. That's crazy. Yeah. And I love that you brought up the Brian Cranston inch, uh, opening for Godzilla because it was such a dip. I just love the tone of that sequence so much. It almost felt like the video game fallout funny enough in a way, mm. like you know, it's this wasteland apocalypse place. I don't know. Like, yeah, no, you're, you're right. I, I love that you brought up that sequence because that's probably my favorite sequence of the whole movie. I know it's early on, so that's yeah. you know kind of a funny thing to say. I compare it to Drew Barrymore in screen. Cause when you see Brian Crest in the trailer, you think he's going to be in the movie. So for you to go mm. in, thinking you're following and then it'd be so meaningful it's not like oh they stunt casted put brian crested there just kill him off for no reason it was like an emotional weighty thing but also they killed the biggest star in the film exactly it's between not only that they gave some character depth ra rather fast but it's also a big name star too so it's like okay if they're gonna kill brian cranston off nobody's safe <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah but yeah point cool. taken my friend um, exactly all right looks like i think this is probably a good say uh lead way into luke would you tell us your number 10 so my number 10 is a is, is an interesting filmmaker that i don't think enough people really know about that is my man don coscarelli director mm -hmm. of one of my favorite um franchises of horror films even though it kind of went down after it went downhill after four but the phantasm movies like he has such an imaginative mind like that. I don't think most modern horror filmmakers would really think about when it comes to stylistic choices or the type of tones that he goes for. Um, especially in my personal favorite film of his Bubba Hotep starring Bruce Campbell playing an iteration of Elvis Presley, a parodied version of Elvis Presley, by the way, um, in case anybody was wondering, um, where he fights um, mummies, which he's a, he has such a really cool and interesting type of vision when it comes to making certain genre films, especially when it came to 1979's Phantasm, which, which I will still stand by is not only one of the weirdest, but also one of the creepiest films I've ever seen in my life. Because like, it's really... The way he culminates things and puts it into his own, I think is genius in ways that I don't, like I said, that I don't think most modern horror filmmakers would think about doing, writing in scripts, or even putting that in uh, pre-production, which it's all props to Don Coscarelli, because I, I love the first Phantasm. I really like two and three. Four I don't care for, but it at least actually had some ambition going for it. Um... We don't talk about five because not only did he not make it, but it was not a phantasm movie. Um, but with Bubba Hotep, I think with taking the idea of having a, a parodied iteration of Elvis Presley basically be like Ash from Evil Dead um, fighting mummies, I thought was a really genius idea to me. And the way he does it is perfect in my mind. So, yeah, Don Coscarelli is a really he, he's a visionary filmmaker. Might I say he's great? He sounds so cool. I mean, I I think from off the top of my head, the only one I can really speak on is Phantasm. But oh, I actually I should ask real quick, Zach. And uh, maybe I you know didn't follow on this part. Did but did we say what your actual favorite was from your from uh? Gareth oh, Edwards? 
Yeah, the fair. What was Rogue One? It, it was Rogue One. Okay. So, because yeah. I know Luke brought up uh, Boba Ho- Bubba Hotep in his uh, in his uh, spill there, but yeah, no. So, yeah, the only one I could speak on personally is Phantasm, but I must agree. I mean, he's he really is such an imaginative filmmaker. You know, just you know what I can say from that movie alone, and overall, yes. Elvis Presley being in that kind of movie just sounds wild. I, I know you've been trying to get me to watch that one for some time and we'll do a watch along of that at some point, but cause that it sounds like a pretty fun movie and Bruce Campbell of all people too. Exactly. So it's like, and plus when you look at the kind of film that it is, especially when you have a musical, a rock and roll musical legend, um, parodied in in a very respectful way might i say it's parodied in the most respectful way possible with him fighting mummies it's like not even sam raimi could come up with this idea someone like don coscarelli could really come up with it and because because i feel like bubba hotep why i think it works so well is because it's basically his though it might be derivative in some facets but i feel like it's his passion project and inspiration behind evil dead so yeah it's that i'm definitely intrigued to check this movie out too if you say like when you the way you presented it being delicate to the actual person and respectful of them you know but still managing to have fun that's why i'm saying like with the way that some modern that, that some people like some parody movie filmmakers just disrespect like some great icons, like not just like for actors, but also for I like for um, celebrities. Not just not just that, also, but um, comic book movie icons or just superhero icons in general. The way that they decide to mess with them, they don't even have anything to say about the, the genre they're even lampooning, which yeah. I think is which puts it in a way of being disrespectful. Yeah, the representation. I know what you're trying to say. And also and also basically unfunny toilet humor. <laughs> yeah, I mean toilet humor, dude. I mean, if that's what you resort to, then you know you should rethink if you want to become a comedian. That's some people shtick that people love toilet humor, but they do, funny. they do. I, I but think at the same honestly, time. God. I I I outgrew that. I, uh, I I read too much Captain Underpants when I was small, dude. Like I I got out of that <laughs> the ultimate but, toilet humor. <laughs> but but at least Captain Underpants is actually aware. Like the, the author is actually mm-hmm. aware of the kind of humor that he's writing in his books, like about with yeah. Captain Underpants. So like he's aware of the toilet humor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds so. like Don Coscarelli is a, you know sounds uh, he sounds like he's definitely not talked about enough when it comes to yeah i never heard of him legends yeah i i definitely did not know him by name for sure yeah he's he he's got a he's got a mind i'll just say that (laughs) he he seems very imaginative he he seems like a cool guy that you'd have an interesting conversation if you shared a drink with them to say the least (laughs) but yeah so yeah don for don coscarelli bottoms up cool so, all right, my number 10, whoosh, we have kind of a newer addition to my top 10 list. This, I was going back and forth between a few, but ultimately I decided to land on my man, Harmony Kareen. Now, Harmony Kareen 
is an extremely interesting individual to say the least. Uh, the picture I have displayed here, you can probably tell that right off the bat. Um, yeah, he's just, if there's one word that I could describe Harmony Kareen, especially with his older material, it's very experimental, but not in a, not in like a trippy sort of way. Like, I feel like that's kind of like, you know, when you hear the word experimental, you think of David Lynch and other various artists like that, but he's experimental in a different way. Whereas he's really trying to see, okay, how far can we really push the boundaries here? And I think honestly, if there's any similarities between my top 10 list uh, at all, if any, it's that they are all boundary pushing filmmakers. At least I think so. And Harmony Kareen is definitely that in that regard. It's it's funny because his films are e extremely polarizing. And they if there's anyone who's deserving of the title, not for everyone, it's definitely Harmony Kareen. Because, you know, when you look at films like Spring Breakers, you know, obviously that was quite a polarized film of, you know, recent memory. But yet his films still managed to shift the zeitgeist within cinema. You know, going back to Spring Breakers, that was arguably the first A24 film that blew up and, you know, was relatively well acclaimed. His most recent film from this year, Agro Drift. Haven't had the chance to see it yet, but from what I have heard, the formatting of this film and the layout of it is almost like an interactive video game, like more like an immersive experience rather than the traditional way of storytelling. And I am all for people who are trying to change the form of storytelling within cinema and look no further than Harmony Kareen because you pick any of his films, he certainly is going for something and going for something big. Um, but with that being said, my personal favorite is his theatrical debut and also the first film I ever saw by him, and that is Gummo. Gummo is a movie that is easily in my top 10 of all time, and it's a movie that I'm never going to forget my experience with because I have never felt so dirty <laughs> watching a movie, like whereas I felt like, man, I need to take a shower after watching this because, oosh, it's a hard watch, but man, do I love it. Yeah, comment on that there for a second. Um, Spring Breakers was such a weird film. Like, like that was a film that's like, I had heard about it, but like, it just didn't sound like, like that familiar to me because it was like, what? <laughs> and then I go to watch it and I'm like, this shit is wild. So, yeah, I like Spring Breakers a lot. And I never thought to look up the director, so I definitely didn't know he did it. So that's really cool. It makes me want to go look into his filmography now, because that, like, like Luke just said, it's weird and it's wild, and like it set the tone for A twenty four, weird and wild. Like that's exactly. what people expect from their films a lot of the time. <laughs> but yeah, cool. Harmony Kareen, uh, I definitely I recommend giving him a shot. At least I would say either Spring Breakers or Gummo would be a good place to start. Spring Breakers mm -hmm. might be a little more accessible. You know, I mean, you know, you got mm -hmm. uh, Franco and Selena Gomez in there, a couple other Disney Channel stars. But 
also likewise though i think gummo you know being his first film i always i'm an advocate for watching a filmography in order so if that's also the way you want to go i think mm. you would know right away if he's for you or not if you start with gummo but that being said all righty so let's loop back to number nine zach oh quick question ahead. before you do that he did kids so he wrote the screenplay for kids. Oh, okay. It was directed by Larry Clark, and he has another film that he, the uh, same story called Ken Park, where Harmony Kareen wrote the screenplay for both of those mm. films. Uh, but Larry Clark took on the uh, director's seat. But yes, he did wrote he do the mid 90s. He did not. That was Jonah Hill. Oh, okay. Why did he have it as, because I was about to look him up to see what other movies he did, and they have mid 90s. Oh, did he like, as one movie? of his films for some reason did he it might it? be like a producing credit or something like he, that he might be a producing credit yeah because i know jonah hill directed it so i think yeah. jonah hill wrote that one too so yeah okay yeah i'm cool. gonna definitely check it out cool all right. all right zach give us your number nine my number nine is edgar wright um this is one thing you'll know about me yeah shot of the dead of course uh i love when a director just puts everything that they can in a film, visually, story-wise, especially visually. I'm, I love visuals, and you'll see that by my number one pick. Um, and Edgar Wright, just his the way he approaches editing, the way he approaches the story, the way he approaches his characters, they're fun, they're fast, they're funny, uh, but he also can get a layer of um, depth from there in the quiet moments. And I really enjoy... You know, Shaun of the Dead is really funny. Baby Driver, Scott Pilgrim, Last Night in Soho. These films that are widely different. And technically, I man, I'm going to give him credit for that first one. <laughs> um, he just, each film looks different, but you can tell he did it by just the way the characters are and the energy and the comedy in the film. And I love that. That's someone that can have a core that you can attach to, but he tries different things out and make you have so much fun doing it. So I think Edgar Wright is one of those guys that helped me get into weirder movies. Because like I said, I got into movies really late. So like Scott Pilgrim is really weird. If you really think about it, if you look at it amongst the films that came out that year, or even if you put it out today, it still be considered a weird movie. Shaun of the Dead, they weren't really doing zombie comedies when this movie came out. It was mostly serious ones. And then like the zombie comedies that did come out were like really low budget. Um, so I think that him coming up with like a not high, it's not a high budget, but like having some like noticeable stars, be a little bigger, bigger budget, and just taking a risk on that. I think that's a big thing, especially since I love zombie movies. Those are my favorite films. So this this is a fantastic film too. So yeah, Eggerite and um and just his style that he adds and the chances he takes, but he takes chances but finds a way to pin it down to a mainstream level where it's accessible. I don't know how to explain it that, that more than that, but yeah, Edgar Wright. So good. So good. Yeah. I will say uh, the thing about him, I think it's about the, you know, taking the genres into his own hands. Like you said, Tarantino kind of similar regard in what I'm about to say, but Edgar Wright, definitely when he, he's a guy who takes, who uh, he makes films for film fans because that is obviously what he is and you know i mean obviously i would hope if you want to be a director you are also a film fan you know because that's kind of what makes the best ones but when it comes to edgar wright it's really in your face about it and when mm. it comes to 
you know, his own work, it's very much so him. Say, for example, with Shaun of the Dead, it's very much so an Edgar Wright made zombie film with Last Night in Soho. It's very much so a Giallo-esque horror film, you know, Edgar Wright-ized Baby Driver. Same thing, but with an action heist film. So, yeah, he does have, definitely have his own flavors, but I'm not going to get too much um, in detail with him for, for right now because I'm not going to give too much, not, not to spoil it, but I will be talking about him a little bit later. So He's, He'll be here somewhere. This will not As be you should. the last of Edgar Wright. <laughs> <laughs> you should. Yes. Exactly. No, I, I love the man. He was one of my gateways, likewise, like like you said. So, yeah, no, he's, he's Oh, yeah, awesome. Hot Fuzz, World's End. Yeah, he's just he's just attacking a block. Yeah, he's just honestly for anyone who is just now starting to get into films, watch his entire filmography from start to finish because he doesn't have that many movies. And Mm -hmm. it's really interesting to see his progression maturity, but yet he never loses his identity. Hmm. Yeah, and also he he never loses his steam when it comes to making movies. Like no, just because he's getting some uh, years on his belt does not mean he's losing it at all. He's he's kicking it like he's eighteen. So <laughs> I think it's just that he just refines what he's doing. Like he's he's more trusted. They give him bigger budgets, so he's able to make the movie look better or hire actors that are like top tier or do things that he tried to do before, but it didn't have the money to do it, but he knew he could pull it off. I think that's all it is. It's just like him refining all the things that he loves. So he doesn't have to change what we love about his films. Right, 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 right. Okay. And then, sorry, one more time. Did you say, what was your favorite? Oh, my favorite. I think it's baby driver. Yeah. Baby driver. Baby driver. driver. Nice, nice, nice. Good movie. You can put that on anytime. It's just a cozy film. I have only seen that movie one singular time, but it's one of those where I, I could go the rest. I mean, I will rewatch it sometime in the distant future because I'm long overdue, but I could go the rest of my life without watching baby driver. Cause it's weirdly enough. One of those where you own, I only had to see it once and I can tell you how the movie plays out from start to finish. Mm, you know, it's yeah. an, just unforgettable baby driver is it's a great I, movie. Yeah. So yeah. All righty, Luke, who are we talking about next? Talking about imagine, imaginative mind. Let's go with my man, Sam Raimi. Um, this is a guy that I, that has not only, um, made me who I am today as a film lover, but also kind of shaped my childhood with the first two Spider-Mans, like, and most of the other films that I have watched from Sam Raimi, he has blown, most of the time he has really blown my mind with how creative he gets with his movies. Like example, the evil dead trilogy, like he made those films. Without that trilogy, I really don't think that Sam Raimi would be on the level that he is now as a filmmaker, um, or even especially with doing some of the some of the movies he's been doing lately. Like, um, like we got, um, like I said, the the Spider Man movies. We had um, Multiverse of Madness. So, yeah, we get films like that, and then we also get films that really float under the radar, like A Simple Plan, that is maybe that uh, may just look like a straightforward thriller, but it's effective with, because of the way that Sam Raimi tackles the film. And also, um, 
with a Western, which is my personal favorite, even though I did write down a different one um, earlier beforehand, but it is uh, the quick and the dead. Like it is a really um, cliched Western in concept, but the way that Sam Raimi does it, he makes that kind of, he makes those Western cliches and puts them into his own with, as a revenge thriller. So with with Sam Raimi's ambition and his type of filmmaking, like I said, I don't think I would be here without him as a film lover. So he's definitely one of those guys that, have, that has shaped me as a, as a film lover. Sam Raimi is awesome. He's definitely, you know, as said, he was, you know, he meant a lot to me, his earlier Spider-Man films, especially when I was smaller and when I, when I was getting into horror, the evil dead, obviously, which is, it, it kind of goes back and forth between what my favorite horror franchise is, but evil dead is definitely one of the big three. And I would definitely dare to say it's the most consistent horror franchise out there. In my opinion, it definitely is. Cause it's like, there's no bad entry in the evil dead franchise. Like there's no bad one. Like, yeah. Out of any I, of them, I, like, he could have been an honorable mention for me. I, for some reason, I forgot about it when I was thinking about it, the Spider-Man trilogy. And I recently just got into the Evil Dead franchise this year and watched all of them. And their Army of Darkness is my favorite one, which is funny because it doesn't have Evil Dead in the title. But those movies are so good. Like, they're just fun. They're not really scary, but they're just fun horror films. There's yeah, an and- argument to be made for what I'm about to say, but it's with army of darkness in particular as brought up i would say especially in the humor regard it's the most sam raimi evil dead film when it comes to the humor absolutely in my opinion yeah, yeah and especially with evil dead 2 which is honestly to be considered by me my favorite uh, horror comedy of all time is evil dead 2 um the reason why that film works so well is is because of the balance of comedy and gore. Like, because mm. the film can be really, really, really ridiculous with, with it when it comes to the stuff that they do. Some of the effects might be dated, but it's it's the magic that Sam Raimi has to make it um to actually still make it stand the test of time. Like, yeah, that's how I so. always thought about it. Was like the first one. Obviously, it's got that campy, you know, uh, horror kind of thing, which makes it a little funny just in how it was dated and what or how it's dated and whatnot, but in a charming way. But I would say overall, the first one is definitely the most straightforward horror of the three. Army of Darkness is the most comedy-esque. And then the second one is the perfect 50-50. And it is also my favorite Evil Dead movie. But Yeah, that's... That's why I got to give credit to Sam Raimi for making for kind of shaping me as a film lover, like I said before. Because without his films and his creative mind, like I said, I don't think I would even be here talking about movies without without this guy. So we all have that that certain one where we can give that place to for sure. I mean, there's plenty yeah. of directors I can give that place to. I mean, but I mean, there's definitely more that we're going to talk about. But it's like. He's definitely one of those faces where it's like I could have had him higher, but there's other ones, even with some of their more recent films that have made them crawl up higher than Raimi for me. So, yeah, I mean, my list is also so close. Uh, 
you know, neck and neck. A lot of these names are, but I think that might be a good segue into my number nine because I have Gaspar Noe. Now Gaspar Noe, for anyone who knows, they certainly know that Gaspar Noe is one of the most unapologetic filmmakers to ever live. And I have full confidence in saying that. It took me a little while to get used to his style. And I would even say, I'm not sure if I was the biggest fan like I am today right off the bat. The first film I ever saw from him was Climax. And um, I was a little put off because I was going into it ready for it to be a horror film. So many people said, this is the scariest movie I have ever seen in my whole life. And I was like, whoa, especially when it came to, you know, coming from people I hold in high regard. But I trusted them and I went for it and I was like, this is a really freaking odd movie. <laughs> uh, I wasn't prepared for the structure that the movie was. And I think while I, while I obviously don't want to spoil you know what I mean by that. I will say one thing you have to go into or one thing you have to have in mind when you go into a Gaspar Noe film is that he is not afraid to seriously mess with story structure. And I don't even just mean the movie taking place backwards or chapter one happening after chapter three or anything like that. I mean, he will rearrange the entire movie you know, and he's done that with a number of his films, but with climax in particular, it's a little different in that regard, but I just, again, I wasn't ready for how much he likes to play with the structure of his movies, but I let it marinate. And now I can say climax. It, it's grown on me quite a bit. I, I think it is one of his couple masterpieces and, you know, when you look in hindsight, in hindsight, um, you know, the full picture of his filmography. Damn, he's got some really solid titles in there. He's another one who he may not have a lot. He may not have a lot to his name, but in terms of numbers of, uh, you know, he doesn't have the most films compared to some of these other people on the list, maybe. But with Gaspar Noe, every title will pack a punch. Some might work a little more than others, but man, in preparation, actually, for this episode, I was watching a couple of the biggest blind spots that I had not gotten around to when it comes to some of the filmmakers on my list, because there were a few that I, you know, I needed to catch up on a little bit. And the one I just watched actually today was his most recent film, Vortex. And Vortex is one of the best films made of this decade of the 2020s decade so far. For sure. One of the most punching, emotional, gut-wrenching films I've seen within the last few years, but yet done so subtle, which is really a different change of pace for him because as most people know, he's very, very electric, I guess, should we say, especially with films like Enter the Void. But I think, though, if I were to pick my favorite, it's not the one I would recommend starting with. I would recommend starting with Climax. But my favorite film is Irreversible when it comes to his filmography. And that one is definitely, in my opinion, it's a tough film to sit through. Nonetheless, I think anyone who has any moral values whatsoever would probably agree. But 
you know, I mean, I, I knew I had liked it when I first watched it, but now I think it is his ultimate masterpiece and one of my top 20 films of all time. That is an amazing and dark and relentless movie, but you know, in all the best ways meant. For sure, man. Like, um, I definitely get that. I've only seen climax out of Gaspar Noe's, uh, filmography, which, um, I definitely, I mean, I definitely was not, uh, expecting the type of style that Gaspar Noe was, um, using for this film, but the way he did it was actually really fascinating to me. Like, like a lot of it, like at the beginning was one, was a one shot scene, like just one take. And the way he does it with that style is amazing. So, so yeah. So you definitely would want, I would definitely see. Yeah, I would agree. Start with something like climax and you'll definitely, uh, probably get used to a style after that before watching a film like um irreversible or fort or vortex so. exactly yeah he's a filmmaker that i've been meaning to watch a movie of because every time i hear the plot or what he's doing with the film i'm like oh that sounds like something that i'm gonna be i'm gonna love and i just haven't had the chance to dive deep i'm a huge a24 film fan and he did climax and i heard great things about it haven't checked it out. I'm scared about irreversible, just because the 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 topic, the subject matter, yeah, yeah, and plus it's like experimental and stuff like that. So, and I've seen some people say that it's um, inflammatory, but the way you speak about it, it sounds like it's not. Um, yeah, I, I would, I definitely, he's one of those guys that I need to dive deep into and check out because I like, like I said before, I like directors who have their style, they put everything into it, and there's, they, they, they just try stuff. Like, I'd rather you give me an imperfect film that's creative than a perfect to the T, every act is structured perfectly, but it's kind of like, this is kind of boring. Like, yeah. I feel like that a lot of times when I watch a lot of these films that are getting Oscar nominated, and I'm just like, I saw that, and it was, it was, it was okay. Yes, it's perfect, the score is amazing, and the cinematography is the best cinematography ever. But it's not it didn't take any chances. Yeah. It's just, you know, there was a movie last year just like this, you know? So mm -hmm, mm -hmm, definitely mm -hmm. want to check them out. The Academy has a type. We'll put it that way. But mm -hmm. yeah, with, with Irreversible, yeah, it's, I understand a lot of the, you know, going back to what you're saying, I, I guess I should probably speak on that uh, just a little bit. So when it comes to the way that he actually executed that film, <clears throat> You know, when you look at it from if, if you, you know, if you get spoiled, the big moment, um, which I won't, you know, give away here. But if you have seen the film or you've been spoiled, it, then you probably know what I'm talking about. But, you know, if you hear that, you're like, oh, there is, you know, there's no way that anyone in their right mind could direct a scene, you know, that intense and that in your face and, you know, see it as, you know, art. Uh, as meaningful or art but i think honestly it's a little in my personal opinion unfair to say because while i do understand that it's very triggering uh i'm not disregarding that at all but i will say uh on the flip side i think the film has a lot to say about why that 
material or subject matter, or whatever, why that topic of discussion, what's so wrong about it. And it's, mm. I think that's the thing with his films in general is he shows these, uh, he shows these parts of life that are so evil and dark and fucked up, but he shows it for what it is and people are not going to like that. So, you know, mm-hmm. they want the sugar coated or toned down or show, uh, you know, uh, hinted and shown off screen version of whatever may be, but he doesn't do that. He's going to show it all. He's going to go big or go home, but yeah, that's yeah, no it way. It depends on what, what you watch films for. Some people watch it, it for does. escape. So if you're like trying to escape real life stuff and then you go to his movie, and he's showing you this rawest version of real life, but filmed. Uh, I can see it just turning you because I'm looking at reviews right now because I'm looking at these movies you guys are talking about and looking at mm-hmm. and adding it to my watch list to make sure I can uh, definitely remember. That's the worst thing when you hear about a movie and then you forget to add it to your watch list and it's just gone forever. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, um, I, I get that feeling a lot, man. I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, what movies in 2023 am I missing that I need to rewatch? And, oh, my exactly. God. But uh, that's a whole other rabbit hole. Um, I'm seeing people saying, like, this is just gratuitous and he's just showing the same scene over and over for no reason but in a review right under that show is like oh no if you really step back and see what he's doing it he's doing it for a reason so it's like it just depends on how you approach the film yeah exactly that's my biggest thing is you know well why why is this included that's the thing you have to ask while you're critiquing or watching a movie is why is this in here what purpose is there sometimes you can figure it out and other times you can't but either way i always believe the director did have a reason even if their reason is oh i want to screw with the audience just screw with the audience i don't believe a lot of the stuff in noah's films are that way although maybe sometimes but for the most part i think something like uh the more heavy material and irreversible or vortex are you know for that reason but anyway on to number eight zach who is gonna who's it gonna be (laughs) uh number eight is ryan coogler my guy the man, the myth, the legend, someone that I think uh, just got is getting started and he's taking his time, which I love. I love that he's not just jumping to do every project. He's trying to take his time and pick the ones that fit for him the best. Um, he, You could tell that he's a talented filmmaker. The fact that he, he did, what, two films before and he got a, a Marvel movie like almost right away. And it's one of the best ones. Um, Fruitvale Station is just a heartbreaking story that i can relate to a lot because i know a lot of people that went through those situations uh creed is an amazing story as someone that didn't watch all the rocky movies but grew up around the mythos and rocky was the biggest thing and like i don't really remember everything from rocky but just knowing that how that was an american mythos for him to uh make a spinoff that honors rocky but also creates its own path and how like it, it has all these cookie cutter elements to it, but it's just executed in a way where you just still love it. Like all three creeds just has cookie cutter moments, but it's just the execution. Um, and obviously, Michael B. Jordan was just amazing in these films. And then just you know, Black Panther as a you know as a black person is just so important um, for us because it just showed that we can sell tickets. You just need to give us the good stories. <laughs> it's just that simple. Give us the good stories, and we will we will sell tickets. Maybe not everywhere, because there's some countries that didn't like Black Panther. But for the most part, you know that movie made a billion dollars. 
<laughs> and it's just it was like our Batman, you know. We've had like a bajillion Batman movies, and this was ours. And you saw what it did. Now it's inspiring all these creative people, Jordan Peele, to be able to do a note. He probably wouldn't have gotten that money if Black Panther wasn't so successful. Um, there's uh, Ava DuVernay getting the money, even though Rick on Time wasn't that great, but getting the money to have an opportunity to do that. There was there was a moment there where black directors, you couldn't take risk. You had to absolutely knock it out of the park because if you failed, you're not going to get another opportunity. So now the doors have opened for all these creative things because Ryan Coogler is so methodical in what he does and figure out how to way to make these stories that relate to me specifically because of my life, but make it relatable enough to people who don't, don't look like me where they get it, you know? Yeah. Um, and if you don't get it, that's fine. Cause you know, there's movies I watch of people that don't look like me and I'm like, I don't get why people love this so much. And that's fine. Cause not every movie has to be for everybody. Um, so yeah, I just I love Ryan Cooler. I'm excited about his potential. I think he could be one of the, the goats in terms of directing because he has all the the staple things there that you need to do. And just like Edgar Wright's early work, where you talk about you go, you see that feel, but maybe he didn't have the money or the the time. I think he's gonna refine it, and I think his next movie is gonna be his best movie. Exactly. Yeah, so because I I. I won't, I'm not going to agree with you on Black Panther. I think it's one of the weaker efforts, but I totally understand like why um, it's important. I totally understand that. It just wasn't really like my kind of movie, but just saying that Ryan Coogler did a great job behind the camera. Like he knows how to direct a movie. He knows how to make a film and knows how to make it like you know feel realistic, feel um, warranted, and also in a way to actually appeal to people of this kind of culture, which I really do appreciate about Ryan Coogler. His ambition. With talk with going through, with talking about um, his certain culture, so I really like that about him. So yeah, and like you said, with um, his success with Fruitvale Station and Creed, two really like even though Fruitvale Station was much more than Creed, but those two films leading him right into the MCU was a game changer, like just for him. So yeah. I, I gotta I gotta give him credit where it's due. So good pick though, man. I'm not I'm not gonna lie, man. That was a good pick. He's awesome. Yeah. When it comes to, so yeah, when I'm talking about diversity and filmmaking and representation, the thing that I always hope to see when, you know, when it comes to diversity is I love seeing original characters, you know, like black Panther is, you know, when it comes to African, you know, culture and whatnot, black Panther is obviously a very original character and I think the timing of when it came out was just perfect because the MCU had been established and then Black Panther comes along. And I just, I think the timeline, they planned it, you know, in that regard perfectly. perfectly. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And Creed, man, it really depends on the day, dude. But Creed is definitely, it goes back and forth between Rocky 1 and 2 and Creed for my favorite film in the rocky franchise creed is an amazing movie and it's crazy yeah. that i mean rocky eh, he's not a, obviously he's not exactly the main main character but it's so great to see a film you know that is part of a obviously an established franchise you know come out with the sequel way later on with a different main character 
and yet it's one of the best ones. <laughs> so and respectful that. to the main main character as well. There was yes. always a, a a respect there that they did that I think that's why fans was able to gravitate towards it and not feel any kind of way. You never felt like, oh my god, this is woke. You, I have never heard any woke comments towards no, Creed. I don't feel like he was respectful. Exactly. Yeah. I know it Creed is I do not see anything woke about it at all. And when it comes to, and you said, uh, obviously it's very respectful towards the main character being Rocky, but also even Apollo Creed, like there was, there was a way for it to make sense and for the line to be drawn for, okay, we're going to go in, you know, this direction. Yeah. Totally. So yeah, no, he's, he's a, he's a visionary to say the least. And I, I cannot wait to see what he does next because he is a great voice in, you know, modern cinema for sure. All righty, Luke, who's your number yeah. eight? So my number eight, if you guys want to get, get a little quirky, let's talk about my man, Craig Gillespie. Um, yeah, the, the visionary filmmaker behind uh, the film that you see on screen, which is I, Tanya, who also, and a guy who also made um, Cruella and, most recently, uh, my personal favorite film of his, Dumb Money, and also his first film, Mr. Woodcock, which was honestly not that bad. He's a guy that understands quirky humor. like, And I like some good old quirk in, in when it comes to humor. Like, it, It's not going to appeal to a lot of people, which um, which you may understand like why. Because um, sometimes... When it comes to his type of humor being so quirky, it's like some people would get it. Others will not. I mean, that's kind of the point with comedy. But with his style of humor, like I said, with films like I, Tanya or Cruella, he has that sense of quirk, but also wanting to tell a good enough story that will keep his audience um, in their seats and actually wanting to learn more Um about these people like especially the, the characters that we're focusing on like example with i tanya talking about margot robbie's character um talking about uh corella we're focusing on a disney villain that um we and as the film goes along we understand why she became more and more evil and with dumb money talking about a guy working at mass mutual and a recreational youtuber that kind of just changed the game so he makes you care about these people like these just everyday people that did something big and they want and they want and they he makes you care so I, you gotta get like i said his ambition and also his quirky type of humor makes him really stand out to me as a filmmaker so yeah yeah he's the character writing behind his films couldn't have said it better myself he is really good at giving that emotional thing to latch onto. And, you know, um, sadly, I Tanya is a huge blind spot for me. Like it's, as it's been for a while, it's a movie I really wanted to see, but admittedly sure. haven't made the time for it, but mm. can't wait to watch it. And Corella is definitely, I will say it's not my favorite, favorite Disney remake, but you know what? He directed the hell out of that movie. The production value was well done and he knew how to really get it out of Emma Stone in that film. I think so. it's a real talent to be able to take these larger than life characters that could feel kind of far away if they're done wrong and make them feel relatable and add humor. 
I think that's an easy way to get everybody involved because you like, oh, Cruella DeVille, like this is like a character that doesn't exist, you know? Even though they kind of do, there's people that are similar. It is a parody of some rich people. But like in the animated and live action stuff of old of 101 Dalmatians, she was just this evil person. He just pared it down to make it super relatable. Same thing. Exactly. With Icon, That's that's why I like respect Craig Gillespie for his ambition and also giving not just uh, character growth, but development and giving us reasons why we should care about these people, even if they're not so very likable people. He gives mm-hmm. us a reason in his scripts, which are very sharp and also like right on the spot, like to actually give us a reason why, you know, hey, you may not actually really know about this this person. Like, let me give you an example, like dumb money, like um, because a lot of people like because this story just happened very recently and some some people like myself didn't really know much about it. Like, even though it was all over the news, the GameStop stock and how it blew up because of this one person named Keith Gill. I didn't know much about this guy, but Craig Gillespie, with the way he did that film, gave me a reason to like this guy and make me want to hang out with him like with hours on end even especially with the way that the film is written and again it his films have very very sharp scripts to a point where it's like you can't get be- like it can't get better than that when you have someone like Gillespie behind the camera so because like I said with I Tanya you you care about Margot Robbie in the film um, you get you get a lot out of Emma Stone in Cruella, and you get a lot out of out of Paul Dano in Dumb Money. So he's a guy that that makes unlikable characters so like not just relatable, but also people that you want to learn more about or connect with. He also seems to that you know obviously he knows how to really get it out of his people in front of the camera, his actors and whatnot, but the casting also seems to be really spot on too, because I remember for a long time, people saying that I Tanya was Margot Robbie's best performance, which was probably, you know, that's what caught me onto, you know, caught the attention of myself. Which is crazy. Cause before the movie came out, people were saying she was miscast. It, exactly. It's crazy. <laughs> But, but then you see, but then you see it. It's like, oh nope, never mind. I eat my words, like, <laughs> which is yeah. something that like people might have said that about Paul Dano for Dumb Money, which I, I haven't heard a single person say that. But I'm just saying, like, there there's going to be people out there that have that might say that. Not me, but other people out there that might say that. And then you watch, and it's like, no, dude, it's like he really got this guy down to a T. Like, yeah, different, different, you know, change of scenery for compared to what he usually does, especially his villainous roles. But you know what? He, he made great, you know, he, he did, he gave it his all in that movie for sure. Exactly. And like he, and he wants to, and like I said, when it comes to Gillespie, he takes like, even if they're like the smallest parts in the film, he gives you a reason either, not just to, root for the people that you that he wants you to root for but he makes you want to root against the people that he wants you to hate like mm-hmm. yeah so example like with um our villain in Cruella you want to hate her because but even though she's so good Emma Thompson is so good at you know relishing this kind of role 
or examples in Dumb Money, Vincent D'Onofrio, Seth Rogen, Nick Offerman, and Sebastian Stan. You root against those guys, and Gillespie gives you a reason too. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I will keep my eye out for him for sure for his upcoming works because he's made good stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, underrated filmmaker in, in my eyes. He's one of my favorite. Uh, but one, one of my favorite. Like, if I were to talk about most underrated filmmaker working today, it's him. Yeah, he looks like a cool guy too. Look at that happy face he's making in that picture there. <laughs> he's like a cool <laughs> chap. All right. So moving on to my number eight, kind of move along the pace here. We got John Waters. Now, like Gaspar Noe, he's another filmmaker where he is, and Harmony Korine as well. He is definitely a filmmaker that is not for everyone, very much so. As you know, as a fan personally, I can testify that uh, you know you will not, you will not offend me. If you say, oh, I can't do it with John Waters, like I totally understand as a fan. But for me, there's just something about his style that I just love. He's known for being the pioneer of built cinema. He grew up watching films that he called gore films, as well as mm, there was, I think the other uh, half the half of his blend is he watched a lot of sex oriented films and he kind of combined these two together to just make the most raunchy and nasty when it comes to the comedy, but yet, and and even in the filmmaking purposefully, you know, making so much seem like it's rough and on the edge and whatnot, but nonetheless making it weirdly artful. Art house exploitation is definitely what I would call John Waters' films for sure. That's the the subgenre that gets tossed around with his work, and it definitely is a good way to to put it. Um, with him, uh, another my my honorable mention, Greg Araki. You know, he looks up to John Waters quite a bit, and you can definitely see the similarity and uh, you know paralleling the two, but. Greg Araki worded it best. He called John Waters the original punk rocker of cinema. And that is exactly what he is. He is such a damn punk, you know, from when he started to now. And I love the majority of his films that I have seen. I've seen most of them at this point. Um, You know, Female Trouble is an amazing movie. Polyester is a really good one. Even Hairspray, the original Hairspray film he did. But my favorite, probably get a little hint by the picture there, is Pink Flamingos. If you look up a list of the top 10 most disturbing, most fucked up movies of all time, Pink Flamingos is almost always on the list. And for pretty easy reasons to see why from start to finish. Um, But yeah, Pink Flamingos is, again, I, I totally, I understand and I get why people look at me like I'm a crazy person when I, you know, express how much I love John Waters, but I will not apologize to say that I am wholeheartedly a fan. I love this man to death. So, yep. Yeah, but I'm, but I'm just going to say, like, after I watched Pink Flamingos, I was just, I wasn't just in awe, but I was in shock of what I watched. Like, Cause he's a guy that definitely knows how to shock you in the most disgusting and disturbing way possible. So he, and 
he's not afraid to push the boundaries. So that's why I got to give him props. But I'm, I'm not, I don't want to go too far because um, since I've only seen one of his movies, so I I will yeah. admit with Pink Flamingos, it's weird because you could make the argument that somewhere like female trouble or polyester or even hairspray is a better place to start. But I jumped off the deep end with pink flamingos. And I think if you start with pink flamingos, you probably are able to appreciate the rest of his health, the rest of his filmography a little more in my opinion, maybe possibly, but nonetheless, I, I, it's still jumping off the deep end nonetheless with pink flamingos. And it's so weird and such a paradox but i almost felt like i was doing something wrong watching this movie i was like i should not be watching this and i was by myself watching it alone and i was like i don't even care that i'm not watching this with someone i don't feel okay for myself but you know what i let it sit with me and i was like that was one of the most funniest and entertaining movies i've ever seen in my life you know, it's absolutely up my alley. Um, funny enough, I love that Luke brought up his experience with Pink Flamingos because I remember Christmas of last year, I was like, oh, dude, Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive. I've been watching these movies, you know, my Criterion copies of them nonstop. And I'm going to send you something for Christmas. And he was expecting, expecting me to send a David Lynch movie his way. But what did I send him, Luke? You want to tell? You sent me pink flamingos on Criterion. I sent him pink flamingos, and he was like, "What?" <laughs> that was the oh my gosh! I'll like, never I was still thankful for it. Like obviously, I was still thankful for that because it was a gift. But he was just caught like, off guard. That's all. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yes. Alrighty, our number sevens, Zach. Who is it? Number seven for me is Christopher Nolan. Um, he's a little lower on the list because I'm not a huge fan of, a lot, of some of his films, but he's been a big part of my uh, young adulthood into this moment now, like uh, at my age I am now. Obviously, the Batman trilogy, as you have it on the screen, um, was huge for cinema, and I and I was super hyped to get a serious Batman again. It's been a it was a while before. We got a serious Batman. I think the last one before this was like Batman and Robin or something like that, or Batman Forever. Um, Inception blew my mind. Interstellar broke me. Uh, I think Oppenheimer is one of the most well-crafted films of all time. Uh, Tenet is probably his weakest effort I've seen, but it's still a very interesting idea, and it, it just plays to my... You know, like, it's not a movie that I'm like, oh, I love this. But the fact that he went for it, and, you know, I, I talk about, like, going for it. He tried. It, I don't want to call it a failure, but eh, a little, little bit kind of a failure. Um, but I'm glad that he he went for it. So I think Nolan, my big issue with Nolan for most of his films is the fact that he lacks a lot of warmth and heart in his films. But I love that he has these big ideas and he kind of just knocks them out of the park. I just need him to get actors like Matthew McConaughey who add some heart to his movies because I love Interstellar so much and because Matthew McConaughey brought so much emotionality to the role other than the other leading actors that Nolan usually casts. Like, I love Killian Murphy, but he's kind of a cold actor. Leonardo DiCaprio, for some reason, plays cold with him. Um, John David Washington, I'm not a huge fan of as an actor, and I 
and I think that's why Tenet also is kind of a little lukewarm. Um, so he he's he gets these big ideas. He uses his actors more as chess pieces than people, but the scripts are so tight, the ideas are executed so well, and they're, they just ignite my imagination. Yeah, I'm. I'll be the first to say that I'm kind of infamous for Christopher Nolan, his filmography literally being half I love, half I don't. But you know what? I will say probably his strongest thing that I like about him the most personally is the concepts. You know, mm-hmm. I even if I don't like the concept, even if I don't like the way it was executed, I have to admit he went all out and I would probably say, even if it wasn't to my liking, he still did it, you know? Yeah. And especially with stuff like tenant, you know, I mean, tenant is such a big scale movie and it's wild and there's so much going on. I don't personally love the movie, but you know what? I kind of understand why others do. I go for memento. That's my favorite, but there's other ones. I do really, really love dark Knight's probably my second favorite. And I also really like, uh, I, I really do like interstellar as well, man powerhouse of an an emotional movie for sure jesus the fact that he depicted a black hole and then years later when they finally got a picture of a black hole it was the same thing mm-hmm. that blew my mind i was like this man his mind is on another plane he's a genius he is a genius all right um luke but who is your number seven so i would argue the greatest filmmaker of all time he is a genius i'm talking my man steven spielberg the man who has created some of the greatest films of all time, including Raiders, E.T., Jaws, you name it, he he did it. Um, um, if you're talking if you're talking favorites or most entertaining films, you're talking. I'm talking Catch Me If You Can. If you're talking most um, creative and thought provoking ideas that he could have that maybe could have been done today, but he did them way earlier than, than he could have. You're talking Minority Report. If you're talking um, a classic little children's film that not only will kids will that not only kids will love, but adults will love as well. You're talking Hook and the BFG. And if you're talking films that were inspired by some of his other works, I'm talking like films like The Terminal. But if you're talking films that will make you want to either want to make films or just in ways that um, that make you just inspired as a human being. We're talking the Fablemans. Like, he is a guy that just knows exactly what he's doing as a filmmaker. And he is very much so a man who, like, not only will just warm your soul, but he will he will not be afraid to, to make you... Like, he will not make... Like being not not be afraid to make you cry, like he's a guy that will just tug at your heartstrings and make you cry, like bawling out your eyes. So, again, I love the man to death. Even though he is arguably the greatest director of all time, he definitely does not. He definitely doesn't have any like like really really terrible films. He definitely has some weak links in his career, but he's a guy that knows exactly what to do when making a movie. Yes, 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 yes. Um, agree to so agree. It, it's one of those things where it's kind of weird because I feel like Tarantino kind of faces this too. Um, I feel like especially when it comes to, you know, 
hardcore hardcore cinephile film groups it's almost kind of it's become weirdly cool to hate on spielberg and you know uh, and i just i don't agree at all because i'm all for continuing to expand my horizons find out what my next uh next year's top 10 favorite filmmakers list is going to look like it might look wildly different i don't know but you know what i will always trace my roots back to steven spielberg and he was one of the ones that I'm honestly kind of mad didn't make it in my top 10, but he was definitely my biggest, biggest, uh, you know, gateway drug when I was small getting into film. When I was five years old, my, this is how cool my parents are. They, the Easter bunny one year in my Easter basket left me a DVD of Jaws and oh man, life changing moment because that easter i watched jaws and it's been one of my very favorites ever since it probably is still my favorite but with the fablemans it's on par but i would say i love them both equally because the fablemans couldn't be any more of a movie made for me because spielberg and i we have so much in common we both grew up in arizona we both have been making little baby movies like little short you know small films with our friends as our actors, you know, at a young age. And, you know, that showcased all that. And also arguably the biggest reason why is because obviously I look up to David Lynch so much as a filmmaker, won't say where he's at on the list, but you know, <laughs> but that being said, um, obviously Spielberg meeting his idol, John Ford was a big moment for him when he was younger and he casted David Lynch to play John Ford. So real surreal moment there for me when I was watching the Fablemans in the cinema, because I'm like, okay, here's a movie with a scene about my, one of my biggest idols, Steven Spielberg meeting his biggest idol, John Ford played by one of my biggest idols, David Lynch. I was like, oh my gosh, this could not be any more of a full circle moment here, but yeah, oh, man, Spielberg, man, I will not advocate for the hate because he's, you know, he will always be one of my, one of my OGs, but yeah. yeah I right. lack the least experience with Spielberg, but the films that I've seen are masterpieces. And catch me if you can, Luke. That's a great, great pick oh, to have in your number one because I feel like I that's not a ton of people's number one, but it's one of his absolute best. I love that movie. Me too. Hell yeah, dude. All righty. So where are we at? Uh, my number seven, I think it is. Yeah. All righty. Um, my number seven, Ayo Miyazaki. I animation Five. is my favorite medium within film specifically stop motion you know i mean that's stop motion animation is what got me into film making into loving film the way i do specifically with the nightmare before christmas but however that's beside the point my favorite animation filmmaker he is a 2d filmmaker but it is hayao miyazaki and it's not even a contest as to who is my favorite animation filmmaker of all time why because if there's anyone that you know is deserving of having their films you know 
in display at a museum exhibit, you know, with the poles blocking them off. And you have to look at them from a distance because they're just that great. You have to, you know, preserve them let, let, just like that way. Hayao Miyazaki is, you know, who I look at in that regard. Um, I didn't grow up with his films, unlike a lot of people my age. You know, I I think the only Ghibli movie that I watched when I was younger was one that he didn't even direct, which is uh, Arietti. I did. That's the only one I think I saw. But I didn't grow up with Spirited Away or My Neighbor Totoro or any of those. I I never even really was that familiar with his name until way later. But um, with that being said, I don't know he was a life changing uh, filmography to get into, dude. I I love this man to bits and pieces. So many favorites I could name, but it may be the obvious choice. But for me, it's easily Spirited Away, one of the most ambitious pieces of filmmaking I've honestly ever seen. You get the biggest thumbs up for that. Cause yeah. All right. Number six, Zach, go right ahead. Off mute. Uh, number six is Neil Blomkamp. Um, yeah, this guy was my gateway into serious sci-fi. Um, District nine is a movie that I hold there. It's one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, Elysium is an underrated sci-fi action flick that I really like. Uh, Chappie's a film that's super overhated. It's not as good as the first two films, but I still had fun with it. And Gran Turismo from this year came out of nowhere and slapped me in the face. And I love that film. I remember going into that film with my arms crossed. Like, eh, why would Neil Blomkamp do this cash grab bullshit? <laughs> and then I was like, oh my God, he did it. <laughs> He, the guy, by golly, he did it. I, I was so <laughs> hyped. The first, like, 15 minutes of that movie, I was like, oh, no, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be. And then after you get over that hump, it's like, oh, my God, this is one of the best. Obviously, I'm overhyping it, but I love the movie. A lot of people felt the same way going in, and they saw some of my friends saw my review. And they're like, wow, you're really hyping this up. And then they came back like, Zach, you're right. It's way better than I expected it to be because a lot of it is his directing. Um, just District Nine just led me to like shorts, uh, sci-fi shorts, because he had his sci-fi shorts that he used to do, and he put on YouTube, and that led me to other channels. And I was just, I swear, it's like for two years straight, that's all I did was on YouTube watch sci-fi shorts, go to their horror shorts, and that led me to uh, Lights Out, which led me to this. And so his his filmography, just those films alone, especially like something like District Nine, which I feel like we haven't seen a film like that since he made that one um just opened up a lot of my movie love like how i started becoming a cinephile is because of neil Blancan. i think he's probably out of the ones you've listed so far probably the one i'm the least familiar with because i've actually i've never seen district nine or chappy i remember when they came out um but grant Turismo though watch out because luke and i are doing a watch along of that the end of the year so keep your keep y'all's eye out for that but i've heard it's when it comes to video game movies i i've heard great things so i'm i'm yeah. i'm very excited all righty luke who's your number six number six you want you want to talk about um pure uncut and uh cold and calculator that's my man david fincher um Again, I'm just going to read through this quickly. He is a guy that also inspired my love for film 
and he it has such an ambitious mind. He, tr- he puts trust in his audience. He doesn't try to pander to them. He doesn't try to make them look, look stupid. Even if he does, he does it in a way to make to actually make you think, um, over the like overthink it a little bit, you know. So, and my favorite of his is uh, one we can't talk about, but I'm gonna break the rule. It's Fight Club. Don't you mean Project Mayhem? No, I, I had to. No, I had to break the rule. Break the rules one and two. My God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just had to break the rule. And he's, you know, David Fincher. I mean, when it comes to directors that, you know, uh, I mean, did he? Does he have any movies where he also wrote it? Does he even have one? I don't know. I'm- I'm not sure exactly because I know his father wrote Mank, but I'm not. I don't know if he wrote The Killer or not. Well, I know no. It was the guy who wrote Seven who I know wrote The Killer. Um, but that being said, yeah, when it comes to, I mean, okay, look, nothing against people who uh, take on the director's seat and uh, you know who didn't write the script, but I feel like to write your own script and pull it off well, I think is definitely you know to me the highest of highest but you know what when we're looking at directors who for the most part take on other scripts and you know push them to the full or push them to the limit you know as best they can or far as they can david fincher is definitely probably all around the director i would say that does that best for sure you know my love for fincher comes not from his movies it's from mine hunters the tv show oh did he direct um, that? He yeah, he directed some episodes. He he um I, he didn't write it obviously because you know he doesn't really write it. But he's a big producer. He was like part of the show lead and all that. Oh okay, I did. I actually did not know that. Okay, yeah. that makes me actually a little more interested to check that out. It's a great show. It's, the tone it's is on par with a lot of his his work. Mm, okay, and yeah, I mean I. I love David Fincher's style, so yeah, I I will give that a watch. But yep, cool, cool, David Fincher. Alrighty, my number six, I got Ari Oster. When when it comes to contemporary cinema, there's a number of voices that came to my mind, you know, about who ultimately is the best. But for me, my personal favorite, you know, we're not talking about you know, people who've existed since the nineties, when we're looking at people who start really are contemporary, like starting in two, uh, 2010s or later, you know, uh, at least when it comes to theatrical releases, Ari Oster is easily my favorite. Um, I will never forget specifically with hereditary, which is my favorite of his films, how I felt during that viewing experience, because I had a, I remember I had a list of movies in my, Amazon Prime watch list that you know I was uh, list uh, horror movies I was going to watch with my mom and we chose that one at random I heard good things about it but I didn't really overly pay attention to like specifics or details and I'm so glad that I did not because I swear after that movie ended I don't remember having nightmares or anything, but I will say that I didn't think about anything else besides that movie 
for two weeks. I walked down the halls at school and thought about Hereditary. I watched other movies and was like, oh shit, 10 minutes have gone by and I'm just thinking about Hereditary. I'm not even thinking about what I'm watching right now. Like you could not get that movie out of my mind. And when it comes to straightforward horror, it for a very long time was my number one favorite. Um, it still is one of them and it still is my favorite of his films and I still will say it's a masterpiece. But, you know, that being said, that's disregarded in one bit. And he's only made three. You know, he is a three for three director if there ever was one. Midsummer is an amazing film. I think it's definitely one of my favorite folk horror films ever made. And Bo is Afraid, easily, easily the most inspiring, imaginative, grand scale piece of filmmaking that I have seen this entire year, probably not set the maybe arguably since midsummer the I've never seen something so bold and out there like Bo is afraid and just so creative in every single which way. Oh, we I'm sorry, man. Most were not ready for that film. Most were not, you know, I, I don't think people were ready I think it's unfortunately going to be some time before this movie finds its true footing and it gets the recognition that it deserves. But, you know, for those who, uh, for those who, uh, do love it, you know, we all say that's okay. Haters will hate, but we'll keep it to enjoy for ourselves. So Ari Oster. Agreed, 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 heavy. All right. Top five. Oh man. Zach, who you got? Uh, somebody that's a contemporary for Ari Aston is Robert Eggers. Um, I really like that all three films he's done are very different, but you could tell he's attacking it the same way. Uh, the Northman is one of the most unorthodox action films that I've seen in a long time. And I think he used, um, what's his name? The, 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 the guy that leads the Northman. Oh my God. How am I forgetting this actor's name? Alexander Skarsgård. Yes, I think he's that's the best use of that actor I've seen in any movie so far. And the way he's told that classic story in that way and how his movies have this gray tone to them all the time, but it's just done in a beautiful way. It almost feels like a black and white movie. I know that uh, Lighthouse is black and white, but like Northman and The Witch uh, both have this, like it could be black and white easily if they did it. Also, Anya Taylor-Joy, he kind of put her on the map. One of my favorite actresses right now with The Witch. And one of those movies that uh, definitely is like, damn, good for her. <laughs> She's in that genre, and it's one of those movies. But yeah, I really, really like him. For me, he's three for three. I think um, his movies aren't weird like Ari Aster's, but I think he's on par with him in terms of ambition. Absolutely, dude. Um I mean, like I said, I could easily pop out a top 20, top 25 favorite filmmakers list, but he might, he's definitely top 15 for sure. He, 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 oh man, I really wanted him to be in my top 10, dude. Obviously there could only be 10. So I got a little, admittedly a little angry leaving some people out, but yes, I, I love him, you know, so much. The thing I love about him the most though, is his historical accuracy, accuracy, like with, you know, with the witch, 
I mean, you read that script or, you know, even for me, because half the time I was like, wait a minute, I don't understand a damn thing they're saying. I need to turn my closed captions on. <laughs> um, yeah, I if you read the closed captions. Um, yeah, you read the dialogue. You're like, wow, this is so uh, att the attention to detail in this old English is just so spot on and really, truly made me feel like, even though it's not even physically possible. It really did make me feel like I'm stepping into a window of time, you know, mm -hmm. uh, during the era of uh, the New England Salem witch trials and whatnot. The lighthouse, same thing. I mean, he literally, I think, shifted the zeitgeist of art house filmmaking with the lighthouse and with the Northmen, easily my least favorite of the three. But yet, the again, the historical accuracy is just so crazy. I mean, ah, uh, you know. Hamlet with Vikings. Who the hell doesn't want that, right? So that being said, yeah, no, that's a great pick, dude. I love him as well. All right, Luke, who's your number five? Number five, a uh, man that has inspired me and to end, my boy Danny Boyle. Um, a great filmmaker who has made some of my favorite films of all time. My favorite film of all time being Train Spotting and him having to and some of the scripts that he's done and also some of the films that he's directed, he is such a great filmmaker. Even with some of the stories he tells, maybe some, some of them may feel very un unconventional, but the way he does it makes it so interesting. And even if they're unlikable characters, like I said, when it comes to Craig Gillespie, he gives you a reason to root for these characters and also a way to either, either root against them or just a way to have you connect with them. So, yeah, he's, a, he's, he's an amazing filmmaker. Yes, train spotting, particular. So freaking good, dude. Yeah, and that's your, correct me if I'm wrong, is that your, still your favorite film of all time? Why, yes, it is. Awesome. Yeah, no, I'm I'm so excited to get my hands on that criterion. Yeah, we're going to see that. It's your favorite film. I, Yes, dude. You, you train spotting is crazy. If you want to see a very different performance from Ewan McGregor, train spotting mm -hmm. is where it's at. It's so different, but yet it's so good. And, uh, funny enough, like I was saying, closed captions. Watch that movie with closed captions because it is damn hard to understand what the hell they are saying. But yeah, Scottish accents. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that being said, all righty, kicking off my top five, I have. PTA Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm. I mean, another one where it, it kind of took me a little while to really, uh, I don't know, warm up on, but when I did, I really did. I remember I started, I probably started with a film that was not the best to start with, which was the master. And it's a great movie, but I definitely didn't think it was a very good one to begin with. And then I watched boogie nights and Boogie Nights, I don't know if I 100% knew what I was getting into beat for beat or even like the faintest idea. So that one really threw me off. And then I said, okay, I'm going to give this man one more chance. I'm going to watch his most acclaimed film, There Will Be Blood. And if I don't like this, Paul Thomas Anderson is not for me. And I watched it, and that was yet another life-changing movie. Um, I mean, his filmography to me is just so... You know, his man is just so competent and so uh, man, he's no words when they're that good. You start stuttering, right? Um, 
yeah, he's he's just one of those. I mean, he isn't it? We I think we talked about this with another one. It was it's really interesting to see his maturity and development, not just as a filmmaker, but even as an individual, just you know, coming with age and whatnot. Um, with much more let's put it the nicest way possible, the type of movie a younger ambitious filmmaker would make, like Boogie Nights, but yet when we start moving on to films like the master there will be blood phantom threat you're like wow what a visionary artist here and i think paul thomas anderson is definitely like oh the second it gets announced when he's get uh, the day he's got a new film coming out i will be the first of the first to buy a ticket for that i will beat all the bots they don't got shit on me dude <laughs> but yeah Paul Thomas Anderson, he's he's such a master, a master of his craft, but yet such a cool guy. You know, I, I heard him talk about, you know, working with Tom Cruise on Magnolia and like they just he it's like it's not even like work. It's just like chilling with the homies. And I just I love when they talk about filmmakers and, you know, that way. So many good movies, as I said that, you know, I could name, but my favorite favorite is Punch Drunk Love. Um, I think. Oh, I mean, I think Adam Sandler's best performance is Uncut Gems, but my favorite Adam Sandler movie, period, definitely Punch Drunk Love. I mean, very different comedy and different type of comedy than, you know, his usual stuff. But oh, Adam Sandler really pulls it out of the hat when he wants to. He really does. And Punch Drunk Love is definitely, again, my personal favorite. I think it's just such a simple and subtle film but yet so artful, ambitious, and says so much about so many things. And uh, I could watch that film on repeat endlessly. And probably my favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman character ever is in that film too. And he's probably, you know, him and Willem Dafoe are my two favorite actors. So, you know, that's probably say something there, but yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson. Okay. I think we're moving into number four. Zach, who you got? Yeah, number four, I don't even have to stick too long on it because you brought him up already, but that's Ari Aster. Um, yeah, I am a huge fan of him. Uh, he's three for three for me. Uh, Hereditary is one of the greatest horror films in the last 10 years. Midsummer is almost kind of getting underrated now because of Hereditary, how good of a horror movie it is. It's a scary movie in daylight. You never see that. Uh, most of the time, horror movies are in the dark, in a tunnel, in a scary basement, nighttime. And that's how they get the scares. This is a movie that doesn't, well, it has some jump scares, but it, it's a movie that, uh, you know, is scary because of the what's happening. And and it's part of culture. Like, Midsummer is something that, like, he, obviously he takes exaggerations of it, but there's something that happens in an actual place. Uh, Hereditary is amazing. And then Bo's Afraid. Talk about ambition. Jesus Christ. And I know me and you, a lot of people don't like that movie. One of my friends is his worst movie of the year. And me and you share the Bo love. Um, I was in there and I was like, holy crap, he did it again. <laughs> and that was my first movie of his I got to see in theaters. I didn't get to see Hereditary in Midsummer in theaters, so I was just blown away. It's his best looking movie. It's his longest. Disappointment Boulevard, man. Love that film. Dude, couldn't have worded that better about that cinematic experience in the theater, dude, because... You know, I likewise had not gotten the chance to see those two, uh, his first two movies in the theater. But, you know, the set, me and my good buddy Valenzuela, you know, who I bring up a lot on on the channel, you know, 
him and I are big fans. Hereditary is his favorite movie. So we couldn't have been any more excited. And, you know, first showing earliest uh, showing we could get, you know, before any of the other theaters in our chain first day, it became accessible or accessible to us. Oh my God. That was one of the best days ever, ever. Oh, I love the movie so much. Um, also, want to yeah, give a shout out for pro- producing Dream Scenario. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, I can't wait to watch that movie. Um, Sally, I've not seen it, but I'm, I'm, I'm so excited. Alrighty, Luke, number cuatro. And now, if we're gonna, also going to speak subjectively on greatest filmmakers of all time, this guy, so far from what I've seen out of his filmography, does not miss. It is my man, Mr. Martin Scorsese. Like, this guy does not miss. Like, even with this weakest film, which I think is The Color of Money, he still knows how to hit a home run. Even with even with some of his other films, like Hugo, or what I just watched today um, at the time of recording this, which is um, After Hours. A strange film, but definitely um, one of Scorsese's more underrated ones. But The Departed, which is by far my favorite of his, knows how to tell an unconventional story and make you think on two different sides of the spectrum with the characters and or even with other his most recent film killers of the flower moon despite the runtime or even with films like the irishman he still will keep you invested with the type of story that he decides to tell you like no matter what yeah absolutely i'm gonna have to pull a luke on this one because uh hints hints wink wink nudge nudge from the elbow I will talk about him in a little bit. <laughs> uh, Scorsese is a director that I just got tapped into this year. Always heard about him. Know he's one of the goats. Just never seen any of his movies until I saw uh, Goodfellas this year for my throwback series. Great film. Great, great film. Real fun. Um, and then obviously Kills of the Flower Moon, which I think is a really good film. Massively made, just, you know, a little long. But uh, I can see that. I mean, he didn't write it, and I don't think he writes most of his films. He usually just directs. He his direction is just pinpoint. Like even if you don't like the story per se, or maybe it's not the greatest story ever, the way it was told, the way it was filmed and put together is going to be top of notch, top 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 notch. Yeah, he he's one of those where you know if you had to compare him to a a painter. He's one of those that's not going to leave a single blank spot on that canvas. Like every single, you know, fragment is going to be filled and filled to a 10 out of 10 degree for sure. For sure. All righty. Moving on to my number four. I have Quentin Tarantino. Um, He at one point was my number one and he held that place for quite some time a couple others just as time has gone on have you know gone up a little higher than him but i will always stand by my love for quentin tarantino because his filmography i think is just so fun i love the majority of his films there's only one i do not like that being jackie brown i just i think it's the least polished all around when it comes to the story which the story and the writing of his stories and his screenplays and the dialogue and the characters and everything all around. There's just so much thought put into everything. And that's what I admire the most about him. I think Jackie Brown has 
the least of all that, not the greatest acting, probably my the least memorable characters, I think. But, you know, I don't want to focus too much on the negative because all around, you know, I, the rest of his films, I either like or love. I absolutely do. And I mean, he is, you know, he holds the director's spot of my favorite film of all time, which is Pulp Fiction. And it's been my favorite film since I was in fourth or fifth grade when I first had seen it. And I would not be chasing my dream like I am today without that movie. And of course, the man behind it. Great stuff, man. Yeah, Quentin Tarantino. Um, he's a great he's a great filmmaker. I don't love all his movies, but the ones that hit, like Django and Chains, one of my favorite films of all time. It's undeniable, Django. man. Yeah, now J- and Django, Django is so good. That one is so, so good. So good. So good. Oh, man. All righty. I think we are officially kicking off our top three. Big moment. All right, Zach. Who's it going to be? Um... So this guy means a lot to me in so many ways, similar to um, Ryan Coogler, and that's Jordan Peele. Another guy, he's a contemporary. He doesn't get talked enough being a contemporary of Ari Aster and Robert Eggers. They were all started coming up around the same time, and I think he's three for three for me. Another guy that is doing things that other people are not doing. Um, He puts his all in his scripts and his filmmaking. And if you start from Get Out and Up, you see his filmmaking getting better. Kind of like how you talked about a lot of these other directors where you need to start from the beginning to see how better they get. Uh, get Out is one of my favorite films of all time. It means so much to me. And it's so funny because I almost didn't go see it because the trailer is not good. But the film itself is phenomenal. What the, the layers to what the story is talking about, the way it like you don't really know what's going on, but you kind of know what's going on. And then when you find out what's going on, you're like, whoa. And I think all his films have that aspect to it. Us, I know that's his most divisive film. Same thing. I really like it. The filmmaking was better in that film. Maybe the story wasn't as good as Get Out. Great, great touch. Lupita Nyong'o deserved a Oscar nomination for what he pulled out of her in that movie. And then Nope is just one of the weirdest blockbusters we've ever gotten in the last couple of years. Um, and once again, pulling out Kiki Palmer, someone that's not really high regarded as an actress in terms of like in film space, but really got to the point where people wanted her to get best supporting actress knobs, you know, um, mm-hmm. and create in basically jaws in the sky. <laughs> that's, that's what he did. And uh, it was just phenomenal. But yeah, Jordan Peele, one of the most important people personally for me and one of the most important directors in the space, giving opportunities for other people that look like me, like Nina Costa with Candyman and, and other filmmakers to do things that's not the typical like love story or hood story or uh, traumatic story. We can just do just stories in different spaces. Mm-hmm. He really looks like my neighbor from across the street, especially in this picture. <laughs> it might be him. <laughs> it might be him. He might. I don't know. Maybe just. I don't know. He he always. I don't know. Maybe a little different hair. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway. Yeah. Um. You know. It's, for me, get out. Um, I definitely like it. I don't love it, love it as much as the rest of the world does, but you know what? It's still a very well-made film and great performances. And my favorite part about the movie that you said, and I'm glad you did, is you know something's wrong, but you don't know what exactly, you know? 
And that leads, that's exactly what a good ambiguous mystery is all about, you know, and that's how, you know, it's crazy that he did that with his right out of the gate movie. And so well too, you know, I mean, it just, you're like, wait, what? what the fuck is happening? Like, I don't understand something's not right, but what's not right. I don't get it. You know, um, that's exactly how it is. Um, us. Yeah. Definitely my least favorite of the three. I don't care for the film, but I think I do see what he was trying to do. And I, I do get what he was going for. And I think to a certain degree, he did some aspects of it. Well, others not for me personally, but I get why others do like it. And with Nope. Oh, he blew me out of the park with that movie. Easily my favorite of his three movies. And, uh, was that 20, was that 2022? It came out, right? I think it was last year. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely top three of last year for sure. For sure. I loved that movie and it probably, I'd have to look to double confirm this. That might be hands down my favorite extraterrestrial horror film for sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's, he's awesome, dude. All righty, Mr. Ponto, who is your number three? You guys want to talk about quirk again? The master of quirkiness, Wes Anderson. Mm. He is a genius. Like, even though I think he has one weak link in his filmography, which is The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, for the most part, I really liked or loved his films. And he like he knows how to write humor, deadpan humor, and like de- deadpan quirky humor in a genius way to me. Like, and even if some of his films don't make me just laugh, he has like even if there's like no essential plot in the film, you're basically just following it because it's something that he made. And the biggest example of that is Asteroid City, his most recent film, which doesn't really have much of a plot, but it has emotion, it has stakes to it, and there is some great laughs added into the mix. And also, he always uh, uh, puts together a banger ensemble cast. Even with my favorite of his, my favorite of his, uh, Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, again, he balances quirk and emotion perfectly. So, Wes Anderson is a goat. Yes, sir, dude. Um, Wes Anderson, he's definitely got some real heavy hitters for me. Most specifically with Fantastic Mr. Fox. I mean, I have to really salute Wes Anderson for that film because stop motion is something that, as I said earlier on with Hayao Miyazaki, when we were talking about animation in general, it's something I've always loved and admired and it got me into what, you know, I'm doing now, but it never occurred to me, Hey, you know, even though I don't personally know how to do stop motion, I can hire someone who knows how to do it. I can hire an animator or whatnot. And that's honestly what, uh, you know, assembling a team of a filmmaking crew is all about. You know, you may not know everything about what it means to, you know, work a camera, but you can hire a cinematographer that does and can, you know, make your vision happen. You may not know um, the complete ins and outs of producing, but you can get another producer to help, help you do just that who believes in the project. You know, that's what, assembling you know your dream team is all about and 
I was like, wow, I never thought about that until I saw Fantastic Mr. Fox. And I was like, and I, I, I didn't grow up with this film. This is another one that I watched way later. But I was like, when I saw this movie, it made me say, I can do this too. Like, I, I want to make a stop motion movie and I want to make it happen. So it's because of that film that I'm doing what I'm doing. <laughs> but yeah, all righty. Let's see. Okay, moving on to my number three. I have Stanley fucking Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick is, I think, he may be objectively, I think, the best director to ever live. Um, especially if we're talking about cinematography. You know, obviously, Stanley Kubrick was a photographer before he was a director. And I think it's always interesting to do research and find out what a lot of your favorite filmmakers were into or what they did before they got into movies, because a lot of them did not start out doing films. Some, some of them didn't even know that's what they were good at till way later. But, you know, it's always really interesting to see uh, some of their history in that way, because with Kubrick, he was originally a photographer. And after he did uh, this one specific photo shoot, I believe it was at a boxing match or something. Uh, he, you know, he had all his photos assembled and it was like, this could actually make for a really good movie. And the lighting is good. The framing is good. We have all of the perfect action shots caught on camera. This could work for a film and look where he is. He has made some of the most influential movies ever made some of the most household biggest household names ever made i mean you know we, we see 2001 in the picture right there um you know that what a game changer for cinema 2001 was barry linden another you know maybe it took a little while to get its footing but another game changer the shining arguably my favorite straightforward horror movie ever made but my favorite has to go to one of the most mysterious and most creepiest and unsettling films I've ever seen, which is eyes wide shut. So disturbing. And I talked about this in a review I did on my channel recently. Eyes wide shut is a film where the first time I saw it, you know, I started it late at night. And usually when I start a movie late at night, I'm in my bed. I'm probably not going to finish the whole thing. I got to watch it in a couple sittings, but eyes wide shut was like caffeine. <laughs> like man, oh man, that movie kept me up i have never been so invested into a movie like i was with eyes wide shut ever and you know they're uh, he he's just an extraordinary uh filmmaker i i, I love stanley kubrick so much he, i really do wish i could say my top three or maybe even top four are tied but we gotta rank him at some you know in some fashion so he is my number three Watched my first Kubrick film this this uh this year, Clockwork Orange. Yes, Clockwork Orange. Um, you know how I felt about that. We talked about it, but <clears throat> I see that how like different of a filmmaker he is, and I definitely want to check out the rest. Like 2001: Space Odyssey has been on my list for years, and I need to see that movie as a sci-fi thing. So, yeah, I personally think your next one should be um either if you had to ask me, I would say either The Shining or Full Metal Jacket because. Hmm. Obviously, okay. The Shining is a horror film that everyone just needs to see, even if you're not, you know, I'm not saying you specifically, but even if 
you know, people who aren't into horror, like they just need to see the essentials for movies in general. The Shining is definitely arguably the horror movie, maybe alongside Psycho and some of the others that like, I think people just have, have, have to see just to say that they've seen it. And Full Metal Jacket, I think you would really appreciate how different of a war film it is compared to mm. other war films you may have seen in the past, especially with the Vietnam War. It's just so unlike any other war film or especially Vietnam War film for that matter and has some amazing performances in that movie. And it's one of his most emotional for sure. Um, you know, obviously not all of his films have a linear narrative, but if you want kind of more... Because Clockwork Orange is definitely a little bit jumping off the deep end, you know. I mean, obviously the 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 you, you're an honest man. You went by the votes, so you know Clockwork Orange is what it ended up being. And I love that movie, but I will say um, for your next one, if you want one where it's like I'm kind of looking for I don't know something that's a little easier to get my hands on or get get into a little bit more, probably I would say The Shining or Full Metal Jacket or you know a little uh, maybe a tad bit safer than clockwork orange when you're at least still in this beginning stage gotcha i'll keep my mind on that when i'm picking i definitely want to jump in on these directors hell yeah dude that's what i love about these doing these lists and getting other people to compile their own is because we have so you know all of us you know three different opinions three very different lists and i love you know when we introduce each other to different stuff when we you know i mean I think we've all had like a couple on here where we're like, we haven't seen every single one of their films or whatever, but you know what? It's like, that's what kind of makes it cool. It's like, Oh, you know, just hearing them talk about it that way. That sounds extremely interesting. Like that's what I love about this, you know, community oriented stuff. Um, but yeah. Alrighty. Number two could have been number one, but Oh damn. All right. Zach. This guy got all the special effects. Um, I know. Let, leave it to Luke for giving us the quite the show here visually. <laughs> uh, Denis Villeneuve, uh, my number two. I was really, really close to being number one. Uh, we'll see what happened with Dune Part Two. That might push him ahead. But uh, Dune Part One, one of the best sci-fi films we had in a long time. Blade Runner twenty forty nine, one of the best sci-fi films we had in a long time. Arguably better than the original Blade Runner. Enemy and a very underrated film from him. And I love Jake Gyllenhaal. So he used Jake Gyllenhaal to the most Jake Gyllenhaal that Jake Gyllenhaal could Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, <laughs> we could, we could, we could, I can't even say Woodchuck once. <laughs> uh, and then Prisoners, another Jake Gyllenhaal, Jake Gyllenhaal, and, and then Hugh Jackman. You know, like, I, I love Hugh Jackman, and I love him as Wolverine, but I haven't really seen him, like, in films be, like, the serious, serious actor. And I know he has in the past. I just haven't seen it. And so Prisoners, Prisoners is so good. It's one of the most chilling thriller dramas I've ever seen. The twists and turns. We talked about the Jordan Peele thing of like, you know something's wrong, but you know what it is. Like, we knew, we thought we know what was wrong, but it's not what we thought was wrong. And then there's more to the wrong. And then when you think like they solved the wrong, there's another wrong. And it's... <laughs> growing and going and both of these two powerhouse actors are giving this great performance uh, Terrence Howard who like is an underrated actor giving a great performance uh, Viola, was Viola Davis right? I believe yeah she's the wife. other mom yeah one of the goats just doing a great job and you didn't think they would because in the beginning of the film it felt like they were just another couple and as the film progressed they got to do more um I think Prisoners might be my favorite film for him right now, as much as I love Dude and Blade Runner. 
Um, and I still need to go back and watch some of his like early work. But I just love how he executes his films. He's not super risk taking, and you know, like I love films like filmmakers that do that, but he executes his standard story so goddamn well. Right. And then maybe throw a little thing in there to make you go, ooh. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. And I know Luke might not agree, but I will agree with you, Zach, here. 2049 is definitely. I think the best of the two Blade Runner films. I uh, I love that movie. Um, but no, he's he is a you know I mean a lot of contemporary picks on you know these lists here, but that's totally okay because it's what we're living in right now. You know, and it's you know I mean people of the 20th century I'm sure would have loved to have half these names, but you know that that being said, um, yeah, he's he's a great filmmaker. Prisoners is also my very favorite of his films, and it's not even a competition well maybe to a degree but you know what i mean um yeah it's that is an amazing film and when i asked for uh your guys's favorite movie from each director just to kind of have that in the notes here dude it made me excited just thinking about prisoners because i haven't seen that movie in quite a while but damn oh oh man it's i forgot to talk about sicario Oh and Sicario, Sicar- <laughs> the opening scene of Sicario takes place in my hometown. Oh. Bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> yes, sir. Chandler, Arizona. Um, but yes, no, he's extraordinary. The one film, probably my biggest blind spot with him that I have not seen is in Cindy's. I've, have you, have you seen in Cindy's? No. Okay. Um, yeah, no, dude, I, I have to see it because I've heard it's an amazing film and I know it's somewhat of an earlier on one with him, but yeah, oh. that and Polytechnique and Polytechnique. Oh, yeah. Seen, yeah. I haven't seen those. Yeah. I've not seen Polytechnique either. There's a couple ones, like I said, I'm still missing, but yeah, I mm-hmm. will. I will definitely be excited to check out Dune part two as well. Um, I, I have a feeling the wait is going to be worth it. Yeah. Hell yeah. All righty. Sir Luke, who is it? It's Christopher Nolan. The G- another absolute genius at his craft. Um, no weak links from me from him. Um, he is a visionary filmmaker that just knows how to get not only co- convoluted stories to actually work, but also to make you pay attention so that way you don't miss the details. Because there are some convoluted plots in his films, but he does it in a way where it's not so confusing to make you pay attention and not just be on your phones the entire time. Um, Some people may have some confusion with Oppenheimer, which I totally get, but that's one of the reasons why you need to be paying attention. Um, And my personal favorite film of his, The Prestige, that will make you think, even especially with that twist, which I dare not give away, it will make you like try to trace back to the stuff that happened beforehand and be like, whoa, that actually really did happen. So Christopher Nolan is one of those directors that is, in my opinion, is the best at making you think. There's only like two films I think I've not seen by him, but you know, one of them, Man, take away my cinephile card. It's sadly the prestige is one of the two. 
<laughs> oh dear. But yeah, um, you need to change that, my friend. I do. I'm planning on. I actually have it for. I have a hundred films, a hundred years challenge that I'm going to be doing. Um, with a couple of buddies, and uh, is it? I think it's 2004, right? Yeah. Um, the Prestige is Six. 2006. Sorry, my uh, my pick for 2006 is The Prestige. So I'm I'm excited to. I chose that on purpose because it's a movie. Like, okay, I've been. I did, it's all on me. I have no good excuse. So just haven't made the time for it. But you know what? Time to time to switch some things around here. So, alrighty, my number two that I'll unveil here. It is also I got a Martin Scorsese pick on here as well. I mean, I just feel stupid even trying to talk about Martin Scorsese because he is one of. I, I okay before I even got into knowing the ins and outs about you know uh the crew on a film and their uh you know some of the household titles and the big names and the legends before I even knew Scorsese by name I knew so many of his have so many of his films because I grew up watching a lot of these gangster films with my dad uh the departed gangs of and it's not departed no hard r's it's the departed no one in the fucking movie says departed no no one no one um but yeah i watched that film with my dad uh gangs of new york goodfellas casino we watched them all um and yeah i mean he's luke kind of said a lot about it that i would have but um yeah scorsese is just oh what a powerhouse of a filmmaker if he's again if there's an artist out there that you know who's when it comes to directors if there's someone who should be looked at as an artist it is scorsese so all righty big moment of the night number one oh shit all right this man if it wasn't exciting before, it's exciting now. Zach, who's it going to be? One of the most controversial directors in the last 10, 15 years. But I love almost every single movie he puts out. And that's Zack Snyder. Um, like I said, I love visuals. And this man has the best visuals. He brings characters to life that I love in a way that I like. Like, I love the MCU. I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but there are action comedies. And sometimes that turns me off because, like, I want them to be taken a little bit more serious than the comedy role. Now everybody has to make jokes. So when he takes this theatrical opera, God's living amongst humans trying to figure out role to all the Justice League, I really love the execution. Especially since we had the MCU. Like, if we didn't have the MCU, maybe I'd be like, whoa, hold on, lighten this up a little bit. But the fact that we already had the MCU... And the DCU was taking a different thing and is, is being different. I was I was down for that. Him taking parts of these superheroes that are in the comics, but maybe not the most popular part. You know, uh, Superman Rebirth, Superman American Aliens for Man of Steel, when he feels like an immigrant, when he feels alone, when he's dealing with his darker side and going towards the light. A lot of people don't know about that about Superman. They only see the happy-go-lucky guy. He's always happy, which is not true. Batman has killed in the comics at a point. People weren't ready for that because we haven't seen that in media. 
Um, and his idea was to start them in these dark areas and then the character growth to get to the where we know they are. But, you know, we're not going to see that. I think Zack Snyder's Justice League is one of the greatest comic book movies of all time. Um, Watchmen, also another one of the greatest comic book movies of all time. 300, an amazing film. The second 300 was not as good, but it was still good. Um, and it was the first uh, titty I've seen in a theater. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, it is first time. Yeah. I was like, Whoa, what's going on? You here? were like, damn the yeah, screen. Like, you know, the big screen, the big thing on the big screen. Like shit, <laughs> you know, during an action fight. Oh shoot, this is why I love that sucker. <laughs> they uh, went for it, dude. They went for it. Uh, Sucker Punch, his most hated film. I love it. I think that that's his. He he. Everybody says his style over substance, and I can agree. Most for him is style over substance. But I think Sucker Punch was his most layered film. And a lot of people don't understand what he was going for with the different levels of the fighting and then the strip club and then the doctor thing. And like that dissociation that that character was having. Um, I can't wait till we get the the Snyder cut of that film, which is supposed to be coming. Um, yeah, I just I think the only film of his that I haven't seen is two films I haven't seen. The Owl one. I just I heard it's great. I just had no guardians or whatever. Yeah, I heard it's really good, but I was just like, eh. And then I haven't seen his zombie film. Well, his uh, his first zombie film, which blows my mind because I love zombie movies and I love Zack Snyder. You think that would be a priority, but for whatever reason, every time I go to sit down and watch it, something happens. So I'm like, maybe I just gotta wait. Maybe I might do a watch along on my channel. <laughs> but uh, other than that, I love his vision. I love that he just goes for it. I don't mind the slow mo. It does get a really ridiculous sometimes um but he makes like you could take a frame from his movies and you can make it art it's like art so i understand he wants you to slow it down so you can appreciate the work that he put into the frame yeah zach snyder yeah dude i i just realized in this picture why the hell does it look like he's hiling hitler there what the hell <laughs> <laughs> oh, i cannot believe you okay. said that <laughs> okay so anyway yeah, well, you know what, dude? Honestly, when it comes to comic book films, you know, Zack Snyder, he's definitely, he's a hit or miss overall for me. But you know what? There's a reason why he's, you know, why he's, you. Ha there has to be some appreciation and respect for him because he really does redefine these stories, like you said. And, you know, I know you are a huge, huge fan of comic book movies so it's really admirable to see that reflection you know for your number one spot you know you love this genre well here is you, you know who you find to be a master of that genre um or subgenre media whatever you want to call it um but that being said yeah i mean zach snyder and i have a quick it, hot take about zach snyder and mcu so i do think that Kevin Feige likes Zack Snyder's films. And the reason why I think that is because The Eternals is a Zack Snyder film in MCU clothes. And he, before that movie came out, he said, this is the best movie we ever made. Damn. So I think he really wants to make these serious movies, but Disney's like, you got to put jokes in them. And he's like, well, you guys are giving me the reins to do what I want to do. I'm going to let Chloe Zhao to make And she even said, I was inspired to make the movie look like this because of Zack Snyder's superhero films. 
So mm-hmm. that's just my hot take right there. But uh, yeah, that's all I got to say. Well, and then also you were talking about hot takes and controversy and whatever. Um, yeah, I definitely, Zack Snyder may not have been the pick that some might expect to hear from someone's top 10 favorite filmmakers list. But you know what? I love, you know, polarizing, uh, you know, topics within film, which he said Zack Snyder is one of them. And he did definitely, he is. And it's kind of awesome to see him this high up on the throne, man. Like, yeah. you know, the CM Punk of movies. That's right. All righty. Ponto. Number one, who's got the crown here? I I have to say it is the greatest filmmaker of all time that I consider to be Reese Frank Waterfield. Just joking. <laughs> it's Edgar Wright. <laughs> I was kidding. Me. You got me. I was waiting to do a joke for you guys. So there you go. You're welcome. Um, but yeah, Edgar Wright. I have every single one of his films that I have seen. I have no negatives with. He is, I think, the the greatest filmmaker to ever live. Like he puts a lot of style in his films. It's fast-paced editing. It does not feel slow. And what he's always creative with his films. He knows how, even if they're weird, he knows how to gr- make some great creative decisions, even if they may not be the best for, for some modern filmmakers. He just knows how to take that kind of material and make it to his own. Like I said, with, like, like Zach said, with the Cornetto trilogy. Last Night in Soho, Baby Driver, Scott Pilgrim, all that good stuff from him. He, I think, is a genius and what I think will probably remain my favorite filmmaker of all time. I, depending on which, if I change my mind, you know, with someone like Brian De Palma, Nicholas Roeg, it depends. But I have to see more movies from some of these filmmakers to kind of solidify that, so... But every single film from Edgar Wright, I think, is perfect. Not one flaw I have with the guy. He is a genius. So, my, And my favorite film of his is easily Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Without nice. question. Nice, nice, nice. It's a really good favorite of his filmography. You know, I understand people, you know, maybe not caring for Edgar Wright. And especially even more specifically with Scott Pilgrim, you know, not being all that for Scott Pilgrim, just because I, I I get it. It's kind of crazy. It can get a little overwhelming and depending on who you talk to, maybe a little obnoxious, but I am all for it. I do love the very quirky and fast paced, you know, nature of that film in particular. And Overall, with his entire filmography, I just uh, I couldn't, you know, agree more. I think he's an amazing filmmaker. You know, he's he's so awesome. Um, yeah, he if I, I'm hoping I'm, I'm really excited to see whatever the hell he does next, because I know it'll be nothing short of great, you know, and there's not a lot of filmmakers where you can say say that about because of greatness i feel like there's not a lot of filmmakers you can say that about because you're like oh well they you know they're gonna have to play their cards right and when edgar wright always plays the cards right (laughs) literally no pun intended exactly so okay my number one anyone who's known me for any amount of time knew this was coming and if they didn't they don't know me well that is 
David Lynch. He is. Is there even a word? (laughs) Oh my God. Um, David Lynch is my favorite filmmaker. Easily, easily, easily. His entire filmography, the only one I don't care for is Dune, but even then there's an argument to be made if Dune is even his movie because of how much studio interference that film faced. But aside from that, you know, even the films that I would have a little lower if I had to rank them, I still would say are good and well-made movies. Then you get even into the middle of the list and the middle of my list is probably a four and a half. Uh, Like we get to the four and a half out of five range. Um, I probably have never given out. Now I'm thinking about it. I don't think I've given out, you know, as many five out of fives like I have with his filmography. I love the majority of every single one of his films. He inspires me so much. I have never found a filmmaker's style that speaks to me and inspires me and makes me want to go make my own movies like I have with this very strange man, strange quinoa loving man right here. Uh, um, you know, and it's again, like I brought up with Stanley Kubrick, you know, it's always hearing their about their past and what they were, you know, uh, hearing if they had anything that plays into their filmmaking style is always really intriguing for me. Uh, to find out. And with Lynch being an artist, being a painter before he was, you know, before he got into making movies, it makes so much damn sense because his films, you know, I mean, we talked about Hayao Miyazaki, his films, you know, actually are drawings and paintings. Whereas with Lynch, obviously his films are all live action on the other side of the coin, but they feel as though they were coming from a painter's perspective. They feel like moving paintings, especially with some of his more dreamy films like Mulholland Drive and Lost Highway. Um, you know, Eraserhead, one of the most strangest movies ever, ever made. He's not afraid. And then what I love about him is even though he's so out there, everything he does is done with so much heart. Look at The Elephant Man, one of the most emotional movies I have ever seen oh my god devastating movie but yet so beautifully made and twin peaks my favorite visual piece of media ever made when you combine the show and the film fire walk with me which is my second favorite film of all time but also my number one favorite david lynch movie if i had to rank them of course Definitely that's what takes the spot for me. And we have an episode of the podcast planned all around Twin Peaks. So keep your damn eyes out for that because I will, I have to put a stop to myself or otherwise I'll go on all night about Twin Peaks. I mean, damn, it's making me sweat just, you know, going on this tangent because I just got so much to say about him, but you know, he's, there's no one like Lynch. There is only one, you know, he's just so, uh, he has such a sense of uh, an individual identity, unlike anyone else. Yeah, and can I be real with you, Fritzky? This is one of the reasons why I'm glad that you and I have met um, over this medium, because without you, man, I don't think I would have honestly recognized David Lynch as much as I did now after, what, after you know, getting into films like 
the Elephant Man, Blue Velvet, Lost Highway, and Eraserhead. Like, because honestly, bro, without you and your love for David Lynch, I can't lie to you, man. It's I'm it's the biggest reason why I'm why I'm glad we're, we're best buds. So <laughs> hell's yeah, dude. That was a hell of a compliment. No, I'm I'm always so excited to introduce him, you know, and you know, uh, uh, share the love of his films with others and pass that on to other people and you know be able to talk about it with other people. And he's just so fun to nerd out about. You could go on all day about just one of his movies and, you know, make a whole like podcast episode dedicated around just one singular movie. Um, I mean, they're just so multi-layered and they are such damn art pieces. All every single one of them. I will even yeah. make the extent of saying Dune. It's I just again, I know that film just faced so many obstacles, but, you know, Man, Lynch plays the funniest character in the movie, so I'm not complaining. <laughs> yeah, he's a director yeah. that I watched my first film for this year as well, which was Blue Velvet, which I thought was good. I definitely want to dive into his filmography because he definitely has a weird sensibility. And if you want a good one to start out with after he did Blue Velvet, I would definitely recommend um, Eraserhead. Okay. I would say sure. I will, I, I'm, I'm going to give you a three... <clears throat> Fork in the road path for that one. I would say if you want to see something, just if you're in the mood for a what the fuck movie, Luke brought up Eraserhead. And I, you know, being his first film, we've said it a couple times, it doesn't hurt to start with, you know, where it all began. Um, I promise I'm not flipping you off here. Uh, if you want, you know, a li- looking for a little more of a straightforward story that also is based on a real life event, but also has great performances and i mean great performances by anthony hopkins and uh is it john hurt um yes the elephant man is also a great place to go that is an amazing movie and definitely i think if you know if if you're never gonna see a david lynch movie like you know if you're if you can only see one i would say elephant man might be my pick for that just because it's all around i think it's accessible but it also is just a movie that I think everyone needs to cross off their list. Or you want to go big or go home. You got some time to start a new show. Might as well start with one of the best TV shows ever made. Twin Peaks. Yeah, I think it all around has something for everyone because it's got humor. It's got a great mystery, great stories, great characters, great world building, interesting premise very horrifying in certain segments fire walk with me is probably the scariest film i have ever seen in my life and man oh man it's giving me a little shivers just thinking about it because fuck (laughs) (laughs) um but that's why i love it because scary movies don't make me feel that way so to say that there's one that did it is one of the most uh and twin peaks the return season three is one of the most surreal crazy off the charts off the wall whatever you want to say about it things ever made and i think it's easily i think the best made season of television of all time it's amazing so if you i mean there are all those are all good options if you ask me oh 
I'm big. I'm going to start with um, Elephant Man. Cool, cool. Yeah, definitely work your yeah work your way around. The Elephant Man is ugh, such a fucking good movie, dude. Well, anyway, alrighty, my friends, we have officially made it to the end of the stream. This was a lot of fun. Obviously, we wanted to start our first episode of this rebranding of the podcast with a heavy hitter, and I think to kick it off to introduce ourselves here, obviously top 10 favorite filmmakers was, I think definitely a good route to go on. At least in my opinion, I had so much fun talking about these, all these directors as well as, you know, being introduced to some new stuff as well as I think my other two friends here have, but what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick second to have my two buddies here. Tell us where they can find uh, or where you guys can find them. Zach, since you're the guest, you go on ahead. Tell them where they can find you elsewhere. Yeah. So you can find me on my YouTube channel, Zach Attack Reviews. I do throwback reviews, modern movie reviews. I have a Tuesday live show where I go over the biggest entertainment news. I do trailer reactions and so much more. A lot of different content, a lot of fun on my channel. Uh, if you want to hit me up on social media, I'm on Twitter at Zach Attack RVS. And honestly, all other social media is Zach Attack RVS because reviews is apparently too long of a word. So, yeah, that's where you can find me. <laughs> Is that a fridge on the left? I think I just now noticed that. <laughs> uh, oh, here? No, no, no. You're, you're right. <laughs> here? No, no, it's not a fridge. What is that? <laughs> That's like a, a like a cubicle thing where I have like my video game systems and different things. The whole oh, it I swear it looks I like a mini fridge. Tell me it doesn't yeah, look right like here. there's a water bottle on the bottom one there. It look that looks like a water bottle like lying on its side. I swear. Right uh, let me see. Yeah, it looks like okay. Do you see where that blue thing is on the bottom one? It looks yeah. like a water bottle. Yeah, it looks uh, like there's a water bottle lying on its side. I swear I thought that was a That's bridge. funny. That's <laughs> funny. All right. How about my co-host? Well, you guys can find me on YouTube, uh, just my first and last name, Luke Ponto, and also on Instagram at Luke Ponto23. You guys can also find me on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Serialized at Luke Ponto, and also on TikTok and Criticless at Luke the Film Buff. So you guys can find me on there. And Friday, got a watch along coming up for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem if you guys are subscribed to my YouTube channel. So that's where you can find me. Come check me out. Hells yeah. Well, thank you to both of you for being here tonight. This was, I can't get over it. It was so much fun. Um, but yes, well, everyone, I'm going to leave you all here. Love y'all bless y'all. And we will talk to you guys again soon.